Welcome back, and thanks for joining me again. A broad question in the study of shapes is the idea of symmetry. Consider humans are most animals. We are extremely symmetric beings, where there are two parts to us, the right side and the left side. Just look at my hands, right? Every one of us has a pair of hands, the right side and the left side, which are practically identical one is a mirror image of the other one. Now what scientists are interested in are objects which are equivalent to their mirror image. Now is my right hand equivalent to my left hand? See, no matter what I do to take my right hand and make it into my left hand, I can't succeed because my thumbs, although they fit together perfectly like this, if I match it up the way they should in terms of the way my skin of the inside and the outside is, it doesn't work. Right? They're mirror images, but they're not equivalent. And as we try to distinguish shapes throughout these collections of lectures, we notice that this is one of the hardest things to do. Why? Because things which are mirror images are practically identical. Every property that this hand has, this hand also has. Does it have a thumb? Yes. Do they bend the same way? Yes. Does it have a palm? Yes. Any property you can think of, they both have. So how are we trying to succeed in this particular venture of telling two objects whose mirror images could be different or could be the same? This is the frustration that scientists are going through. This is where math is going to step in to help us. We show in today's lecture how this relates to work on molecular compounds and topological stereoisomers in chemistry. And we want to use the X polynomial that we spent the previous lecture talking about, that we spent the previous lecture constructing from scratch to help us with this. Now, let us review our work on the X polynomial by doing some calculations. Last time we built it up, but we really didn't get a chance to use it. So the first part of the lecture is gonna be based on actually using the X polynomial. Remember the X polynomial and the Jones polynomial are basically identical except for just a notation of calling one A and calling the other one a little change of variable using T. So let's begin by computing the X polynomial for the unknot. But we're not going to look at the simple unknot, which looks like a circle. We're going to look at the X polynomial of an unknot with a few twists in it. Let's take a look. Notice here that the X polynomial of the unknot is what we are trying to find. We already know the answer to this puzzle. We know that the X polynomial is a knot invariant, which means any projection of this particular knot will be the same X polynomial for us. So here, for this particular knot, which happens to be the unknot, we already know the X polynomial is one. So let's find out if we can build this X polynomial up from this twisted projection and see what we get. Let's compute this. Compute the X polynomial. We know we need this to equal negative A cubed to the negative right of this particular projection times the bracket of this projection. So we need two pieces, compute the right and compute the bracket. 
Well, the right of this particular projection, if you just pick an orientation, is going to give you a value of 2. And the bracket of this, which we're going to show in a little bit, but let's pretend it's true, the bracket of this polynomial becomes a raised to the sixth power. So let's combine these two things and see what we can get for the x polynomial. The x polynomial of this twisted unknot equals negative a cubed, the quantity to the negative 2, times a to the 6th. Thus, this can be simplified as a to the negative 6 times a to the 6. But this equals 1. So we get what we want, that it should be 1, as we have expected it to be. Now, one of the steps that I skipped here was computing the bracket for this twisted unknot. Let's actually look at the zoomed-in version of what the bracket of this unknot becomes. Let's take a look at this picture. Here we see the bracket of this twisted unknot to equal, well, let's consider a first crossing. Remember the polynomial relationship we get by rule number two. If I take the first crossing, which is a positive crossing, a positive slope crossing, I can cut it up vertically first, and I can cut it up horizontally, and I get equals a times this figure plus a inverse times this figure. But the first figure has that circle in it, that pure perfect circle. I can throw it away, and I need to multiply it by negative the quantity a squared plus a to the negative 2. I do so in the first one. The second one is just a simple twisted unknot. But notice they both have the same twisted picture for both of them for the bracket. I can combine thus the like terms, and I end up with this unknot with this double twist equals negative a cubed with a single twist. Now we can do the same procedure again. I take the crossing that I see, it's a positive crossing, I cut it vertically, I cut it horizontally, and I get a times the quantity of two circles plus a inverse times the quantity of one circle, the whole term multiplied by negative a cubed, which equals simplification of one more. I can throw out the inside circle with, again, a negative, the quantity a squared plus a to the negative 2. And now I can simplify everything because they all have the term of the bracket of the perfect circle. If I simplify everything, I get this value equals negative a cubed times another negative a cubed. We keep picking up these negative a cubes for these twists, which the right is building for us. Negative a cubed times negative a cubed times the value of the perfect circle, which we know is 1 by rule number 1. So this equals a to the 6th. It's great. We got the value that we used the last time, the previous slide, to talk about the value of the x polynomial of the double twisted unknot. Now, what about a link? We've been talking about this unknot before in terms of this double twist. But what if we throw something more complicated like the Hoff link? Can this handle it? Absolutely. Let's take a look. Look at the bracket polynomial for the Hoff link. Notice that it has two crossings. Let's pick one of these two crossings to work with. I'm going to pick this crossing, which has a negative slope, which means my first cut is a horizontal cut, and my second one is a vertical one. Now note, since this polynomial is only based on the projection of this knot, since we are talking about the bracket polynomial, not the x polynomial, the bracket one fixes a particular projection. So as we continue with this calculation, we see that this equals a times the quantity 
a times the bracket of two circles plus a inverse times the bracket of one circle plus now the second term again we can resolve one of these crossings by choosing the crossing and cutting it horizontally and vertically and I get it's a inverse times the quantity a times the bracket of one circle plus a inverse times the bracket of two circles now we can group all the like terms together again using algebra grouping the like terms which have two circles and those that have one circle we get the quantity that this equals a squared plus a to the negative two the quantity times the bracket of two circles plus two times the bracket of one circle but if we have two circles I could just pop one out throw it away as long as I multiply by the corresponding value of negative the quantity a squared plus a to the negative two this was rule number three so I use this I get only one circle at the end of the day group all my like terms together and I get the value negative the quantity a to the fourth plus a to the negative fourth so now we have been able to compute the bracket polynomial of a double twist of the unknot, the bracket polynomial of the Hoff link, and we even computed the x polynomial of the double twist. Well, let's actually be a little bit more ambitious. Seems like we haven't done anything that exciting. What about computing the x polynomial of a knot that we know and love? The trefoil, the simplest shoestring knot we started this lecture with. Well, if you look at the bracket polynomial of the trefoil, Notice what we get. Consider this picture. The x polynomial of the trefoil equals its negative a cubed to the quantity negative the right of that particular projection times the bracket of the projection. This is the value of how we compute the x polynomial. But what is the right of the trefoil? Of this particular projection of the trefoil, we get that the right is negative 3. We can choose the orientation we want and use the classic value of how we measure right. If it's a positive crossing, it's plus one, a negative crossing, it's minus one, and we add it all up. Well, what is the bracket polynomial of the trefoil? Remember, we need the right and the bracket together to get this answer for the x polynomial. Well, the bracket polynomial of the trefoil is, you have to pick a crossing. I choose the very bottom crossing, which is a positive crossing. So I'm gonna cut it vertically, and then I'm gonna cut it horizontally, to get this relationship of these three diagrams. But look at that diagram of the one next to A. Notice that this is a double twisted unknot. We already computed the bracket for this. This is the first thing we did. This was A to the sixth power. And look at the second bracket of that figure. This is the Hoff link. We just computed this. This is the value negative, the quantity A to the fourth plus A to the negative fourth. So we just plug those values in because we just did the work to do this. And we get the answer to be a to the seventh minus a cubed minus a to the negative five. This is the bracket polynomial. But if we take the bracket and plug it into our original formula to get the x, we need to compensate the right. By doing so, we get the x polynomial of the trefoil becomes negative a to the ninth times the quantity a to the seventh minus a cubed minus a to the negative fifth, which equals, if we simplify it, negative a to the sixteenth plus a to the twelfth plus a to the fourth. Now, the x polynomial has another stunning feature. Notice that we have computed the x polynomial of the trefoil, and it took a lot of work. But as we computed this, 
we note that we actually started using previous computations in this computation of the trefoil itself. And this is going to be the case for ex-polynomial computations in the future. Anytime you have a complicated knot, if you know how it works previously in a simpler version of it, you can use that value in computing the x-polynomial of your knot. But the stunning feature, this beautiful result of the x-polynomial, does not lie in how it computes things, but how the x-polynomial relates to additions of knots. Remember how we talked about knot addition? And we wanted to know this big unsolved question about how the crossing number is related to knot addition and how the unknotting number is related to knot addition. Well, here's the way the X polynomial relates to additions of knots. Listen and cry when I share this theorem with tears of joy. The X polynomial of knot one plus knot two equals the X polynomial of knot one times the X polynomial of knot two. What an amazing result. Now you might be wondering, why is this exciting? Well, think about how polynomial multiplication works. It's not that simple. If I have a polynomial of two terms, and if I multiply it with another polynomial of three terms, how do I do this? I take my first term and multiply it with the first one, first with the second, first with the third, and then I take the second with the first, the second with the second, and the second with the third. And I add up all these terms together. This is the way polynomial multiplication works. Well, what does this result that I've just shown you say? It says if you take the first knot and find its x polynomial, then if you take the second knot and find its x polynomial, then if I put these two knots together along the way we defined addition, this new knot I have has the x polynomial of these two polynomials multiplied together. The way multiplication works of polynomials somehow captures exactly how knots are put together. This is stunning. The way these knots are glued and the way this new knot is formed is exactly captured by polynomial multiplication. This is gorgeous. It is a stunning and elegant result. Now what we see is that once we understand how prime knots work, the basic building blocks of knots, we can get polynomials for composite knots by the simple procedure. Somebody gives you a complicated composite knot, you just break it up into its prime pieces, compute each one separately, and just multiply the answer together. It's fantastic. So, we see how powerful the X polynomial is but we want to use it to understand issues with symmetry. Remember, that's how we were motivating this talk, by the right and the left hand. So what does symmetry have to do with science and nature? Well, a chain of atoms with the same bonds in exactly the same sequence may turn out to form different molecules. Let me give you an example. Consider this example of two molecules, as you see in this figure made up of twisted ladders with four rungs, one with a left twist and another with a right twist. Notice that the number of atoms here in this twisted ladder are both identical for both of them, and the way the atoms are glued together are identical. The kinds of bonds are also identical. But one of them, the top one, has a twist with one of the rungs going on top of it, and the bottom one has a twist with one of these rungs or one of these bonds going the other way. In other words, they both have the same molecular structure with atoms and bonds in the same order. However, they are embedded or placed in space differently. 
And such a pair of molecules are called a pair of topological stereoisomers. Now, from a chemistry point of view, these two seemingly identical objects might turn out to have different properties. One of these might have the property of a liquid like water, and another one might have a property like oil. So the shape of the molecule determines structure. Form and function are related. Now, chemists are very interested in topological stereoisomers because they provide a means to obtain substances possibly never seen before. If you take the same collection of atoms and the same collection of bonds and put them together in different ways in terms of the way they show up in space, you might end up with different molecular structures. So how do we get stereoisomers? It turns out we make them. The process of creating and synthesizing these molecules has a rich history. We have seen that DNA is a molecule made up of millions and millions of atoms. Thus, knotting a DNA structure is easy because you have so much to work with. The question is, can we do this for smaller molecules? Well, any knot made from chains of identical atoms and bonds is topological stereoisomer to any other knot. Why? Because knots at the end of the day are just circles. So if you're going to make a knot, it's just a collection of atoms with bonds between it that form a loop. So every knot is going to be a topological isomer to any other knot that you can make. Thus, a scientific race began to synthesize knots from atoms. Because if you can make different knots from the same pieces of the puzzle, you might end up with different molecular structures, stereoisomers, that might give you different properties like water and oil. Now, a catenane is a set of linked molecular rings. It's not a knot, but it's a link in some sense. The first successful synthesis was created by Wasserman in 1960, and he used at least 20 atoms to do this. Thus, linked molecules were created. And this is easy to do, because they're bigger objects that you can use. But what about knots? What about just one piece that you can make out of this? Well, for knots, unless a large amount of atoms are present, the molecular strand is too inflexible to tie in a knot. Let me explain to you what that means. If you have atoms with molecular bonds between them, since the bonds cannot be closed up too much because the bonding angle is going to make it open up more because of this inflexibility, then I don't have the freedom to make sharp bends with my atom bond chain to close up to a knot. Since the bond angle forces me to stay open as much as possible, I need to have a lot of atoms with the bond angles pretty open in order to close up to actually form a knot. However, Christine Dietrich Buchecker and Jean-Pierre Sauvage succeeded in creating the first synthesis of a knotted molecule, the trefoil, in 1988. The race was finally won. And in 1990, just two years later, Kuan Ying Zhang and David Walba used techniques of creating specially twisted ladders, some techniques that we saw earlier in terms of how we created these two separate rings, to create more knotted molecules. Currently, this is still a hot area of research, and not much has been known. But at least the main barrier has been broken. Now let's go back to our motivating question concerning mirror images of objects. A knot or a link is called amphichiral if it can be made or deformed into its mirror image. And what we're interested in is examining the mirror images of knots 
since they might give different chemical properties for these topological stereoisomers. Now, what about the figure eight knot? Let's look at this picture. Is the figure eight knot the same as its mirror image? Can we take the figure eight knot, move it around and get the same figure eight knot with every positive crossing, now a negative one, one with positive slope, now a negative slope? Is this possible using Reitermeister moves? Let's take a look at this demo. Here you see a figure eight knot. And as you're looking at it, I want you to look at the crossing information. Notice this crossing is going under this strand, and this crossing is going above this strand. And all the crossings become alternating, going under and above and under and above. Now, just using simple moves here, we are able to get the figure eight knot just like we were before. It looks identical to it. But now, my crossing information has changed. Here you see, now the crossing is going over it, and now this strand is going under this. It's exactly what we had before, but using a really simple set of moves, we were able to get the figure eight knot, its mirror image, using simple Reitermeister moves, just moves in space. Now, what can we say about the trefoil knot? In other words, if you look at this figure, is the trefoil the same as its mirror image? We saw for the figure eight that the figure eight and its mirror image are the same. You can take the figure eight knot, move it around in space, and get its mirror image without cutting and gluing. They're the same knot. But is the trefoil the same as its mirror image? Well, if I take a trefoil in my hand and move it around as many times as I want to, it turns out I cannot, like, unlike the figure eight knot, make it into its mirror image. So no set of obvious moves exists that I can do this for. But this doesn't mean there's some complicated collection of moves that it won't work for. So how can I tell whether the trefoil and its mirror image are the same or different? For the figure eight, I was lucky. It was an elegant set of moves. Again, it seems like we're trying to measure this quantity of amphichirality, mirror image-ness. Well, consider this in terms of projections. Notice that a projection of a knot and its mirror image are identical. They look the same, except that every positive crossing is replaced by a negative crossing. Thus, we need a machine, we need a weapon, we need a tool that is sensitive enough to this crossing information that it doesn't worry about the bigger picture, but somehow can capture the crossing information at each one of these crossings and tell whether it's one kind of a crossing or another one. Well, it turns out that the X polynomial is beautifully designed to help us do this. Let's take a look at this example and see what I mean. Consider the bracket polynomial of this particular positive crossing. What do we know? The bracket of this positive crossing equals A times a vertical split plus A inverse times a horizontal split. This is exactly rule number two. But let's rotate my head 90 degrees. In other words, let me look at this exact same picture. But now instead of a positive crossing, let me look at a negative crossing. Here, the bracket polynomial of this negative crossing equals A times the bracket of a horizontal split plus A inverse times a vertical split. 
Now, I'm going to take these last two terms. I'm just going to switch their places. Instead of a times something plus a inverse, I'm just going to switch their places. And I get that the bracket of a negative crossing equals a inverse times a vertical split plus a times a horizontal split. Now, compare this last equation to the first one we came up with, with the positive crossing. Notice that every time I see a positive crossing, I get a vertical, a inverse horizontal. But if I have negative crossing, I got a inverse vertical, a horizontal. What does this mean? This means that changing one crossing with another one, changing a positive crossing to a negative crossing in the same bracket polynomial, switches a and a inverse around. So a not k and its mirror image, k star, have the same x polynomial with a and a inverse switched. In other words, given any knot, you can find its bracket polynomial and take its mirror image. And instead of actually working hard to find out its bracket polynomial, we just look at the original bracket, and anytime you see an a, you put an a inverse, and anytime you see an a inverse, you put an a. This is what rule number two says for us. Now, what happens if this knot that I'm looking at is amphichiral? Then the knot is its mirror image. They're the same thing, which means since the bracket polynomial, which gives us the x polynomial, since the x polynomial is a knot invariant, this means that the knot and its mirror image, since they're the same, must have the same x polynomial. But we just got done saying that any knot and its mirror image must have x polynomials with the a and a inverse switched. Therefore, if k and k star have the same bracket polynomial, where switching a and a inverse does not change the polynomial. Think about that. You must have, in order for k and k star to have the same knot, in other words, for not to be amphichiral, the x polynomial must be a palindrome. What is a palindrome? A palindrome is something that is the same read in one direction and in the opposite direction. For example, the phrase never odd or even is a palindrome. I can read it normally, never odd or even, or I can read it backwards and I still say never odd or even. So for example, the figure eight knot has an x polynomial as a to the eighth plus a to the fourth minus three plus a to the negative fourth, plus a to the negative eight. Now look what happens if I change all my a's to a inverses. If I take a mirror image of this polynomial, of this knot, then all my a's become a inverses, all my a inverses become a's, and I get the same polynomial because the figure eight and its mirror image are the same. We just showed this. What are the consequences of this result for other things in mathematics? What about the trefoil? Well, earlier today, we calculated the value of the x polynomial of the trefoil to be negative a to the 16th plus a to the 12th plus a to the 4th. Now, by switching a and a inverse, we get a polynomial negative a to the negative 16th plus a to the negative 12th plus a to the negative 4, which is the x polynomial for the mirror image of the trefoil. But these two polynomials aren't the same. Since one polynomial and the other polynomial aren't the same, that means that the knots that we're getting based on this polynomial must not be the same, which means that there are two kinds of trefoils, that there's the right-handed trefoil 
and the left-handed trefoil. The mirror images of the trefoils are fundamentally different. The figure eight knot, there's only one of, but the trefoils, there's two. Wow, what a result. We've always thought that there's only one trefoil. I kept talking about the trefoil. It turns out that there are two trefoils. Now, how do you think we could do this without using the X polynomial? Tricolorability, they would look identical. Crossing number, look the same. Unknotting number, all of these things aren't sensitive enough to measure crossing switches of taking all my positive and making it negative, and all my negative and making it positive. This is the power of the X polynomial. And this is what is used in chemistry. Ideas like this that pushes the forefront of not just mathematics, but chemistry, to better understand symmetry for molecules, to know that if you construct the figure eight knot using chemistry, that's fantastic. You don't need to worry about constructing its mirror image. But if you construct the trefoil knot in chemistry, then if you construct its mirror image, you actually get something fundamentally different. It's actually worth it to pursue both kinds of constructions. Now, although amphichiral implies palindromic, in other words, if your knot is amphichiral, then the X polynomial must be palindromic. The converse of this is not true. Consider this picture. Here we have an example of a knot. It's the 42nd knot with nine crossings. Now, one can show its X polynomial is a palindrome. If you actually compute the X polynomial of this, you get a palindrome. But using a powerful notion in mathematics called a signature invariant, far beyond what this lecture can do, one can show that this knot is not amphichiral. It might have a palindromic X polynomial, but that doesn't mean amphichirality. It only means the one direction, not the other. In other words, if your knots you know happen to be amphichiral, then you know they have to be palindromic. But if they're palindromic in terms of their X polynomial, we don't know anything about amphichirality. So we close this lecture with a big open question, useful for biology, chemistry, and mathematics. Can you find a complete invariant that measures amphichirality? The X polynomial helps us to go in this direction but it isn't strong enough to tell everything apart like this knot we just talked about. So in closing, we have learned to use the X polynomial to perform computations. It was difficult and it's cumbersome to go through these calculations in terms of talking about right and in terms of talking about the bracket polynomial. But the more we start doing these computations, the more useful they become in computing other more complicated knots. We've also seen that topological stereoisomers are extremely important in chemistry, able to create different possible objects, maybe with properties of water or oil. And mirror images of objects provide us with a way of creating them. And we have applied the power of the X polynomial to partially distinguish knots from their mirror images. Well, the next lecture, we leave the world of chemistry and move into the world of biology with a mathematical study of mutations. Stay tuned.